Welcome to the Advisor Talk podcast channel. This is Nick Stewart, CEO and Authorised Financial Advisor at Stewart Group. If you're new to the show, Stewart Group is a CFEX certified financial planning and advisory firm serving clients throughout New Zealand with offices in Hawke's Bay and Wellington. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorised financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge by calling 0800 878 961. Going, Nick? Great, good to be here with you. We've got some some good topics to discuss today. Some things that I've never heard of, but that's the great thing about talking to you, Nick. You learn something every day. But before we get to today's topics, I just wonder, um, 34 years and counting, you now get into your 35th year. You yeah. must have seen some things come and go. But I wonder, in this age of the, uh, the World Wide Web, are people now going more online and doing their own thing or are you finding that as an institution I mean you guys have survived nearly 35 years so you're obviously doing something right but has the internet had a big impact on companies like yourself? Yeah it has, that means you need to remain you know kind of, you got to be on your, on your toes yeah. you know, you got to play on the front foot so to speak, um, as I'm always saying to my son with cricket yeah. <laughs> <laughs> play on the front foot now um, because people are informed now that doesn't mean they're informed the right way. Yes, indeed. But it just means that they have a lot of information uh, at their fingertips. But of course, you don't know if it's right or wrong, or if it's misinformation, or what you know, what is Donald Trump called it, fake news, yep. all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, so certainly people people are more informed. Um, they expect things to happen very, very quickly. I mean, that's the society we live in. But I've found that, in fact, a lot of people. As things have gone to the web, a lot of people are wanting a personal relationship. Mm. They actually want to come and see someone. Yes. So if we look at a lot of institutions across New Zealand have retrenched. So, for example, you know, like we've only got to look at, um, I deal with the ASB Bank. And the ASB branch in Havelock North and also Taradale will close shortly. Now, I'm not picking on the, on the ASB Bank. They're just one of many. But there's that general retrenchment. And, and if you're wanting to have a relationship and you're wanting to actually eyeball someone and have a chat with them and talk about your needs, wants and goals and the opportunities ahead and your estate planning and how things are going and how you're going to help your children out and grandchildren, you don't do that via the web. No, you don't. Um, you may get some ideas and the thought process is developed by the web, via social media, etc. But when you actually go to enact it, I don't find many people that are DIY, full financial plan type people. Yeah. They actually want to come and see people. And on that basis, we've actually seen an uplift of people wanting to have those types of relationships, which is the opposite to yeah. what you'd think. Because, you know, banking's gone all online, yeah. whereas we're actually finding financial advice um, even more so is person to person. I know my daughter had a, a chat with her doctor um, last week. Uh, via Zoom. Mm. And I would imagine that an organization like yourself, you could probably run your business via Zoom. But once you take that 
personal interaction, you lose something, don't you? Yeah, you do. Well, for a start, you're not going to get that really good coffee at the that's office. Right, that's right, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, look, Zoom's really good, and it does, it, it, it does mean that, um, let's say if you were to have um, four meetings in a year and two of them were on Zoom, you've just saved everyone a lot of time, travel, money, and, um, and it's quite convenient. But the kind of interface where we get people in, both husband and wife, and if they have a trustee or they have beneficiaries they want to bring along for the discussion, um, Zoom doesn't work as well for that. No, it does not. It's quite, it's quite no, let's just say it's, it's rather more clinical. Yes, very impersonal. Yeah. Today we're going to talk about three different things. And we're going to start off with uh, Game Shop. Then we're going to talk about uh, Wall Street bets, and the only one I have heard of, and it's a guy that used to run around in green tights, Robin Hood. But, <laughs> but let's start off with Game Shop. What is Game Shops? Well, actually, it's called Game Stop. Or Game Stop. Sorry, yeah. yes. No, no, I, I was writing. the same as you. You know, when all the stuff started yeah. coming out, I thought it was Game Shop because you know it's where you go to get your games. Yeah. Um, now, j- just before we talk about Game Stop, a lot of people um, would be like, "Oh, it's just a foreign name." Mm. means nothing to me. I just read it in the media and I see you know, a whole lot of people making money and, and a whole lot of people losing money. But in fact, EB Games on yes. Head of Tonga Street in Hastings, EB Games is a subsidiary of GameStop. I mean, GameStop has 2,800 retail stores wow. across the planet. It's big. It's big. It's a monster. Um, it's possibly, you know, some... <clears throat> The hedge funds that were betting against the company were forecasting that it was going to go the way of the dodo, mm, yeah. and you know bricks and mortar retail was dead and dying. But what happened with GameStop is that the hedge funds publish their short selling, so they publish and say, you know, we have you know sold short. In other words, we have sold shares that we do not own. So they go to other shareholders, they borrow their shares to sell them mm. on the expectation the price will drop and they will get to buy back at a lower price. Mm. And that's how they make their profit. So in other words, if the stock price is $100 and you sell, um, you sell, you know, like a million shares and the price you're expecting that you're forecasting, the hedge fund is forecasting that the price is going to drop by 50% and it's going to drop to $50, mm. you are going to bag a lot of capital gain mm. and someone else is going to lose some Absolutely. capital. Now the, the the issue is is you borrow this you borrow the shares off people for a fixed period of time. And all of that is stated in these published reports. So what happened is that the company, you know, a huge amount of the company had been sold short by these hedge funds. And then there was like a effectively on social media and a social media community got together and said we reckon we should support this company, and everyone kind of chipped in and bought a few shares, and they drove the price up. Yeah. <laughs> so rather than the price declining yeah. and down to $50, and this is hypothetical mm. here, so the $100 down to $50, the price went from $100 to $400, wow. which means that instead of making money as the price dropped, the hedge funds were bleeding capital in a large way. And this became a bit of a um, community story, it was that kind of feel good thing, you know. Um, stick it to stick it to the wall, yeah. stick it to Wall Street, stick it to the big man. And some of these hedge funds, they did have to capitulate and close out their positions, and they lost, in a very short period of time, billions of dollars. Like now, now they had many more billions to lose, but yes. they lost billions. It didn't wipe the fund out, but uh, well, the two funds in particular, but. It certainly gave them a blood nose to the extent yeah. that they're not going back no. again. 
But the, the, the issue is, is in this particular stock, so, you know, a year ago it was trading at about a stock price of about $10. Actually, it was a little bit less, but let's call it $10 US. And the price peaked recently with all these community people buying, just like people like you and I, Ken, just throwing 100 bucks at it. And, if, and that wall of capital coming in, the price went up to $2.83. Sorry, sorry, $483. Wow. So just absolutely massive. But look, unfortunately, after the euphoria and you know the party stops, as we're talking, you, know, with, you and I have said mm-hmm. before, that even after three days on a bender, Mick Jagger still had to pull up stumps. Yes. You can't go on forever. <laughs> And the stock price is now back to, at the close of play last night, a touch under $50. Wow. So if you'd bought in at near on $500 or that, you know, you were the poor unfortunate individual that paid $483 Mm. and you are now looking at your portfolio and it's declined by about 80%. Yes. Ouch. Yeah, you're you're, you're, you're You're, out. Yeah, absolutely. And you're saying, well, I thought this was a feel-good thing. This doesn't feel so good. (laughs) But it was look. It's it's a phenomenon that has not been seen before. GameStop is not the only company that has seen this. There are a number of other stocks that were followed where people did the same thing. Um, you know things like um, and again those kind of industries and sectors going the way of the dodo. And one of those was cinemas. Yeah. And a, and a really large um, um, group of um, or a company that owns a massive group of. Um, Cinemas, people did exactly the same thing. So these hedge funds had shorted the company on the expectation that with the general industry being so dire, coupled with COVID, coupled with Hollywood releasing some pretty average movies Mm. that a lot of people aren't going to anymore, um, that things were going to go pretty badly. But look at the stock price. All these Reddit-type community folk, social warriors with their wallet, have gone in and bid the price up and burned off the hedge funds. Yeah. It's amazing. Now, there is one little story, and it was a company called Maserich. I believe I've pronounced that correctly. That's a, and it's a U.S. real estate company. So it's called a REIT, R-E-I-T, a real estate investment trust. And that owns strip malls in the United States, but regional, a regional focus. So imagine, you know, like Wanganui, yep. Tamanui, Hastings, Napier. So quite adversely affected with the negative retail environment with COVID and prior. I mean, the stock price on this particular company looks sick. Now, that was one of the ones where people were shorting it. Mm. People were selling it, and the hedge funds were heavily involved. And what happened is the community got involved in that one Mm. and bid the price up as well. Now, the flip side of that one is that the Ontario Teachers Pension Fund owned 16% of that company, that real estate trust. And that wall of new buyers coming in, they managed to exit their entire 16% holding in the company at a massive return premium over the last year. And it, you know, so, in other words, you know, the um, you know capital was effectively transferred from Joe Public to this large pension fund. So. Yeah, it's not all bears and skittles no. or bear and skittles. It's not all a win because you've got to remember, you know, for every buyer there must be a seller. Sure. And, you know, capital transfers from the wallet of one person to the other. And this kind of social media investment, whilst it may feel good on the upside, eventually people want to cash in their chips and then the roller coaster goes down the other side, unfortunately.
we often hear that uh, seven years cycle. Mm. Um, but other highs and lows uh, of what you were just talking about there, are those highs and lows, uh, do they happen often with hedge funding in, in a short space of time? I mean, you know, we talk about diversification. You're all about diversification. But when we look at house prices, uh, there's no stopping them. They're like a train coming at you. So, Well, they are in New Zealand. Yeah, I can give you many, yeah. many stories, <laughs> many examples offshore. So, for example, you know, New Zealand's done very, very well. Yeah. We've done very, very uh, – our, our house price appreciation has done is, – is stellar across the developed world. It's stellar across the Commonwealth countries. I mean, it's just phenomenal what yeah. it's done. But I can give you developed world countries like Italy where over the last 20 years – if you'd bought a property in Italy, it's worth the same price as it was 20 <laughs> years ago as it is today. Why is that? Um, well, Italy's had um, some fundamental issues in terms of uh, its debt as a nation. Um, you know, it. Um, I don't know how many times you go to McDonald's, Ken, mm. or KFC, but, you know, s- some people it's like once a yeah. year. Well, you know, on that basis, they have a prime minister uh, more times than you have a Big yeah. Mac once a year. Um, so they've just got some issues. but um, And there's also tax legislation and favourability of of property within the psyche of the community mm. in each nation. So, for example, in Germany, um, it's not such a big thing to own a home. No, It's much more common that people will rent with a long-term uh, rental agreement a property, and they would prefer to invest in stocks and bonds and their pension uh, with their capital. How New, Zealand, ch- New Zealand, we're just the other way. Yeah. How do you change that psyche, though? Because we are. That's, that's, that's us, isn't it? We've got to have a house. We've got to have not quite mm. the quarter acre, or quarter acre section now, but how do you change that? Or would you want to change it? Oh, well, I think it would be a good thing to change long term because the more that we invest in one particular sector um, and the more exposed we get. Now, the reason why I say more exposed, you've got to remember when the average Kiwi goes and buys a house, they actually use – they've got more of the bank's money yeah. than they have of their own, mm. even though they're liable for the loss. Um, and, you know, ours are not um, non-recourse loans. These are full recourse. Mm. So, in other words, you know, you can't just mail the keys to the bank yeah, like you can in right. the States. Ours is more, um, you know, um, UK – or certainly more UK-based. And that's where, you know, you've, you you owe the capital. Mm. Um, you can't, you, you know, that you know, jingle mail, as they say, you can't mail the keys to the yeah. bank and say it's now your problem. I like that. But <laughs> jingle mail, it's funny. <laughs> it's not Christmas. No. Um, but so the longer we continue, the more we continue to uh, draw down more debt, et cetera, um, means that if something, if we did has, have a seismic shock, and excuse the pun on, on an earthquake, mm. but we do live on the, um, you know, on a fault line yeah. and things happen. Um, negatively on that basis. Um, but if you think about it and say, well, the longer we continue and the more we continue to pump capital in, um, and some people have equated it to um, it's like a giant Ponzi scheme because yeah. we continue to buy the asset off one another. And as the asset goes up, we make ourselves feel better. And then some people want to go again and again and again. And, they, and we just keep buying things off one another. But it's the same underlying asset. Yeah. But the sad part is there's a lot of debt with that um, and you know eventually you know Kiwis will need to have a more diversified asset structure and unfortunately there's a huge amount of inequality that comes about in the community where you have rampant house price appreciation mm. now you can also get um, massive disparity, disparities and inequality when other assets also surge but there is none that is more unilateral than right. housing in our country because 
we all do need a house and we have so much of it and we have a very typically against uh, other developed world countries we have a very high portion of home ownership rather than renting yes now i know that's been falling but it's still very Mm. high so as i was saying about that disparity and inequality because house prices have gone up by so much those that own assets or own a house their wealth gets lifted up like the incoming Mm. tide and those that um unfortunately don't have a boat in the harbour they're stuck on the beach and they're not getting the free ride they're not getting the capital appreciation and when i talk about capital appreciation tax-free capital appreciation at that and that brings in a whole lot of other things where you say well how do you change it and some people will argue would you do that through tax yeah like we're trying to change people's climate footprints through um, carbon credits Mm. and allowing the market to dictate the cost that you and i should pay uh, for our carbon footprint do you think that the um the government's announcement uh this week as we record this program that um you need a 20% deposit if you're uh, buying a house for yourself. And if you're an investor, uh, it's currently 30%. You're going to need 40%. Is that going to affect the market at all? I wouldn't think so, personally. Well, it depends It depends how you want to play the game. And, and when I say play the game, you know how we talked before that there needs to be a willing buyer and a willing mm. seller. So effectively, you know, you've got um, supply and demand. It's effectively what 101 economics. Yeah. Now, we're talking about purely the demand side. So that's the demand side of the equation. Can we reduce demand by changing the loan-to-value requirements on banks? And effectively, that's all we're talking mm. about. But but if we're not going to change the supply side, then you're really not going to have a huge impact. No, of course. And most people have argued for quite some time, and I know this across um, you know a couple of political cycles, that this is a supply-side problem, not demand. So in other words, we haven't, we haven't freed up enough land. Mm. We haven't reduced enough red tape. We've actually added more and more red tape on onto the onto the wagon, um, and unfortunately, that that is the predicament. So so yeah, hey, it might dent prices a little bit yeah. with the loan to value ratios, but without freeing up more land and actually putting more house stock into the pipe on the market. I don't really see it having a... It's not no. going to have the dramatic effect that is required. No. And um, what you said just quickly is um, that the supply isn't going to change pro- probably a good five or ten years, so prices probably aren't going to change for the poor old buyer, are they? Yeah, yeah, no, it, you are right. Um, you know, the development of land and the freeing up, and, and, we're, not, and we're not talking a few sections here. No. We're, we're, talking, right. we're talking whole new townships <laughs> need to be built. This is something like, exactly. you know, the... Um, Dear, oh, you know, I, my my late um, grandparents on the on my 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 dad's side, you know, they were down in Palmerston North at t- at the terrace end where the hospital is. Mm. Well, I know that at the end of the war, that was a that they had a quarter acre section. You know, they came back from World War Two. You know, my dad was a classic baby boomer, um, but that entire end of Palmerston North was developed um, for. Um, all of the returning servicemen yeah. at the end of uh, World War Two, and you know that's the type of stuff we're talking about. Yeah. You know, like, and I exactly. think about you know the whole of the terrace end in Palmerston North. You know, there were schools, you know, primary, mm. intermediate, secondary. Um, you know, but whole a, new suburbs yeah, were yeah. created, and that takes an amazing amount of will, willpower, and desire to mm. create. And that's what we had at the end of World War Two. 
uh, that that occurred. Whereas, and we didn't back then have the Resource Management Act. No, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and now we don't even have the trainees. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. even uh, if you free up the land, you haven't got the guys to build the houses. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so look, there are some major fundamentals there, and unfortunately, on the way through, and until this is resolved, um, you know, inequality sadly will continue to grow, um, which is a shame because you know New Zealand were a very egalitarian society. Um, you know, for example, on Saturday, hopefully, I'm going to go to the Tuki Tuki and catch a fish. Yep. Well, you try to do that in Scotland, mm. Wales, or England. I mean, that's why people left those um. countries to come to New Zealand, so you can catch a fish, yep. and that the river's not owned by somebody else. Mm. And and unfortunately, as these, as in this particular case, uh, with ha- with the housing stock and the value of it, a lot of New Zealanders are being left behind, and that's that's really sad, and it starts to tear at some of the social fabric of society. Mm. We're just about out of time. Tell us quickly about Robin Hood. Riding through the Glen. Oh, I love this one. Robin Hood. <laughs> so Robin Hood is a f- it's 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 the US equivalent of Shazies. Mm. So it's that kind of like the DIY, a no cost, you know, you know, rob from the rich, give yeah. to the poor, you know, and that that's that's that kind we of feel it. good thing. And and Robin Hood's a very very technology driven solution or app, and it's great. It works really really well. The issue is is that. Everyone thinks there's a free lunch because, you know, mm. if I trade on Robin Hood, I don't pay any brokerage, so it's free, right? Mm. Well, no, it's not. Because when you execute your transaction, you go to buy some shares in the port of Napier. Now, this is hypothetical mm-hmm. here. But you buy your shares in the port of Napier. The clearinghouse, the person that actually processes the trades, is actually a fund manager. And they get to ride ahead of your transaction. So effectively, there's a margin being made by them ahead of you mm. so and therefore it means it is not free no okay so so a lot of people believe that robin hood was this great way for them to grow their wealth and that's there's no cost well of course there's a cost because that company has an enormous value robin hood's a very very um its valuation is many many billions of dollars well if it was a charity and it was making no money it wouldn't be worth billions and billions of dollars so but what, it is What's the feedback then? So when people, they think it's a free lunch, they find out, hey, you've got to pay for this free lunch. What's the, what's the impact on Robin Hood? Um, well, the impact is that a lot of people close their accounts yeah. and they become disgruntled. And you're starting to see the social media chatter around that and a lot of people were very, very disgruntled. But it's interesting, even with the um, negative press that came about with GameStop recently, and the, now the reason I should just backtrack, they got a lot of negative commentary because they froze and suspended a whole lot of transactions mm. and that's because Robin Hood actually was having some liquidity issues because it had been effectively this community buying of GameStop mm. and other shares had been so successful that um, there were some business fundamentals that were going wrong inside the Robin Hood engine in other words how the app actually worked and a lot of people were felt very aggrieved that Effectively, a hedge fund or and other large fund managers' needs and wants were being placed ahead of the little guy. Yeah. So, in other words, you know, Robin Hood, you rob from the rich to give to the poor. Yeah. Oh well, no, this was the other way around. <laughs> yes. Um, and and now, so a lot of people close their accounts, but that kind of surge of the euphoria of the community getting involved meant that actually, on a net basis, Robin Hood actually opened more accounts yeah. over those two weeks. So despite there being some um, 
some business issues within Robin Hood and for the need, they actually had to go out and raise a whole lot of money to prop up the business. Despite that, it still surged. So, yeah, it's an interesting one to watch this space because most people historically who've set up these engines to assist people, whether that being custodial services, um, brokerage houses, etc., they came from a funds management monetary background. That was their profession. Mm. Robin Hood is a technology solution. So the people that set it up who, who run the ethics program, the governance, they come from a technology background, not a funds management mm. background. And possibly on some of the podcasts that I've listened to and some of the research, they're saying there's a possible disconnect there. And that's why the um, the Robin Hood team just didn't appear to be socially aware about what they were doing. Let's just, yeah. That's the most simple way I could put it. So how does that Robin Hood, you mentioned uh, shares there, how does that Robin Hood uh, quickly um, compare with our shares? Because it, it almost makes it look interesting that, hey, you don't have to be a big-time investor. You can invest, I don't know, dollar, $10, whatever you want, and uh, you're in. Yeah, well, you, you, you are, and it is, it is you know, investing for the community hmm. as such, where the community, you know, the individual person without any advice can go in and um, place a small investment. Hmm. And that's a good thing because then... In theory, it will lift the financial literacy and understanding through the engagement of capital and through the natural education that one gets with a journey that more people will understand stocks and bonds and how things function. But the behavioral finance element comes into it, and that is that studies of those DIY brokerage platforms or apps show that the average investor return is much less than the market Mm. because they suffer the same vagaries as everyone else, and that is that kind of behavioral bias and things like buy high, sell low. And when you think about it, you know, buy GameStop at $483, (laughs) sell it today at $49.58. Well, you know, if ever there was an example of buy high, sell low, that's 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 it. Absolutely. All right, uh, we're out of time, Nick. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Just to remind our listeners, we want some sound financial advice. Where do we get it? Well, you can come and see us at 204 Katamu Road in Hastings. That's the Black Basalt Stone Building with the Tartan logo. Or come and see us on the terrace in Wellington. Either way, come in for a chat. The um, first meeting, um, there's no charge. And we do a great coffee. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorised financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge by calling 0800 878 961. This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.